GM everybody, welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And speaking of helping people harness the power of the Flywheel, we have on one of the OGs in DeFi. He's my dad, he's your dad, he's DeFi dad. The uh, master we educator. Yeah, I love this episode because we start off with Frax and then we just chunk up towards stable coins and all of DeFi. And at the end of the episode, you're like, damn, DeFi dad knows a lot of stuff. And damn, like DeFi dad really cares. And I think that's what's most important. What are your thoughts? I think he's also a genuinely curious person. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's why really- he's like such a good educator because he you know, asks such good questions. And I really miss his uh, tutorial videos. I know. You know I, I remember back then when we was like, you know, early DeFi days, I was just always searching protocol name plus DeFi dad, DeFi dad. on YouTube. <laughs> you know, don't you love that? You, Your friendly neighborhood internet dad here to help yeah. you out. And he's here to help all of us out on this episode. And if you don't want to miss any help from your friends at Flywheel, make sure you hit that bell button. You go subscribe right now. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Every little bit helps. Make sure you subscribe to FlywheelDeFi.com for all the latest updates and insights in alpha about Frax and DeFi. Make sure you follow us on all our socials on Twitter, Telegram, and TikTok. Make sure you follow me, yours truly, DeFi Dave, uh, on Twitter at DeFiDave22. Follow me at 0xCapital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone, let's get this one started. Another episode of Flywheel DeFi. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time around, we have on the DeFi super user and educator at 4RC Capital. Uh, he's the host of the Edge podcast and is none other than the legendary DeFi dad. Uh, DeFi dad, you've been in DeFi as long as I can remember since I remember seeing your videos early on in DeFi summer pop up on the timeline and just like the wholesome dad, like looking out for you, looking out for all like the DGen sons on the timeline. So it's great to have you on. You know, I've been following you since then and seeing your journey all around the space. And, you know, I feel like we're where we both share commonalities, like how much we we all truly care about the growth of DeFi and crypto as a whole and how long term minded we all are in the space. So DeFi dad, great to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, Dave, Kit, thanks for having me on. And and yeah, that absolutely captures, I think, my philosophy and part of the reason we 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 all get along. I I, I really admire what you guys are doing with the flywheel, uh, DeFi pod, and and um, uh, the fact that you're a part of the Frax community. That that's um, clearly like a, a greater part of your focus. Like, could not be more aligned on that. Frax is is for me one of the most promising, if not the most promising uh, protocols and communities in DeFi. So anyways, guys, yeah. thanks for having me on. Yeah, we couldn't agree more, like whether it's Frax, Flywheel, uh, you at the EdgePod and also for our capital, uh, like we're all positive sum. Like, you know, we all talk about Frax being positive sum. We all grow together. 
And so, and you know, we all share that philosophy. So, but to get started, yeah, yeah, I, yeah go ahead. Oh, uh, one quick thing on that. I, I think a part of that, like positive sum thinking, I mean, uh, that, that is a trickle down from Sam, right? From mm -hmm. Sam Kasmian, um, yep. in case anyone lives under a rock and, and wouldn't know Sam as the founder of Frax. So it, it's really uh, impressive how that continues to carry forward. Like, he is fully ded dedicated to Frax. He seems to surround himself with, you know, uh, core contributors, uh, anyone who wants to, you know, be a part of Frax that has a very similar mindset. And it, it is very refreshing. We, we actually did, this was back in like February, I want to say, or March. We did a, a, our third episode of the Edge podcast with him. And I, I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like the positive sum world of Frax mm -hmm. or the positive sum world of Sam Kasmian. So uh, anyways, we're going to get into this today. There, there's a lot to uh, uh, unpack here about like, why does Frax continue to grow and innovate and not succumb to, I think, the pitfalls of of other DeFi protocols, other crypto yeah. teams? We can get into that right now. Like, why do you think that's the case? Okay, so <laughs> I think that Frax, I was thinking about this today, kind of like thinking about like, oh, what, what should we talk about? And, and, and one of the things that, uh, that I haven't talked about much on the Edge podcast uh, is that I think that Frax uh, has uh, struck a balance between building for the average new user in DeFi without over-focusing all of the time and resources on building for them. Because those users are not very loyal. They come into the space, you know, they're wide-eyed, mm -hmm. they heard a friend made X amount of money uh, staking or farming, wh whatever. And some of those folks stick around, but you're still dealing with the top of the funnel in, in DeFi. Frax doesn't just focus on that user. It does tend to build for the more advanced users that are already here. So that that's cool. But then it really focuses on how can we continue to build products that layer on top of all of the other Frax products. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think there's an alternative universe where Frax is building all these products and it's too much. It's, it's just trying to do too much at once, which mm. truly was like, that was my criticism early on. You know, I, I was watching Frax and just thinking like, holy cow, they're now they're building an, an index. Now they're, you know, now they're going to do lending. Like now they're doing borrowing. Like there's just so much going on here. But the thing that made it work, I think the glue that holds it all together is every single product has been built for an existing user base in Frax that is like excited, enthusiastic, and urgent to use it. And I, it's just a brilliant strategy. So uh, that that for me has been the the, the root uh, of success. Like even the, the, the Frax stablecoin, that's the hardest one to get started. That was <laughs> the flywheel of all the flywheels that was hard to get started. Yeah. But beyond that now, like the Frax staking, oh my God, like that Frax staking that that has gone live however long ago. It was last it's year like at this you time. Have this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have this existing user base that, you know, already is loving Frax and using it and all these different curve convex LPs. But now 
you you, you enable a, a whole nother user you know who simply wants to hold their fracks and and wants to earn that you know that US treasury type yield so anyways that yeah. that's that's my best way of summarizing it you make a really good point there when you said Frax builds for both you know, existing users that are deep in DeFi that are experienced as well as people in the Frax community. And I would say another way I would word it is Sam and how Sam thinks like getting into his brain is like, where is there empirical evidence of there being demand for a specific product? So with LSDs, it, it was pretty clear that those were going to become a thing because that was the uh, you know risk-free yield of, of ETH and framing it as an ETH stablecoin was the proper way to frame it. And there is, and that's clear because now Frax is in the top five of all LSTs in the way they constructed that stablecoin. And there are other products as well. Fraxland, uh, what else was it? Fraxswap, Fraxferry. Uh, Fraxland, that especially came true uh, back in the summer during the whole curve fiasco when uh, you know Mitch's, uh, Mitch's health levels weren't so high. And Fraxland was the first lending protocol before anyone else, before Ave, before anyone else to be paid back. And that speaks a lot to the Frax team, the, not all the products they built and how they build them. That uh, SFRX ETH, I, I honestly yeah. totally forgot about that. He, here I am, I'm rambling <laughs> about the different products. That product has occupied so much of my attention this <laughs> past year. And that was another one that just came out of left field and at first I thought, wow, like Frax now is into liquid staking, but actually <laughs> it's, it's very true to the core mission of stable coins. And, you know, I think as Sam has put it, like it's a stable coin that's pegged to ETH yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, you know, that vision of FRX ETH could be, uh, you know, the type of thing that replaces the use of WEATH being used in all the different products that are out there. Now everyone is is holding another stable coin from the from the Frax yeah. ecosystem, and then the the cleverness of continuing to use the convex and curve bags mm. that the protocol owns by uh, uh, being able to uh, basically incentivize folks with SFRX ETH like that whole mechanism. It seems so simple to me now, but like when I first learned about that, I was like wow, like this is really clever and I feels like I haven't seen this done in this manner, but now it's, it's allowing folks to earn a higher staking yield, uh, which is the number that everyone was comparing. And so that immediately shot it up in, uh, it, it, it got people's attention. It, it shot up in terms of adoption or success, however you want to measure that um, and attracted a lot of liquidity. So, you know, Frax is what happens when you you have, uh, you know, you have builders who are playing like 22D chess. And <laughs> That's my lucky number. <laughs> they, yeah, they're, they're, they're crypto natives. They understand uh, the landscape of, of what's working already. You know, they understand the likes of Curve and Convex and how to plug into that. And, and that's part of the reason why I think we all think of Curve, Convex, and Frax now as being a part of a family. And actually, I want to say Prisma Finance being a new mm -hmm. one is kind of right. built into that family. Mm -hmm. um, very similar token holders, a lot of overlap in terms of the, the different investors and token holders. And 
again, as long as you're continuing to create net new products, new value that happens to cater to the existing user base, I think you're going to do really well. I, th I think that we just sometimes we lose sight of keeping the uh, uh, the existing community of users uh, and investors happy and trying to go after this pie in the sky of like, we're building for the next billion users. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it like, guys, do, do we even have like, do we even have a hundred million users in DeFi? I'm pretty confident we don't. So do we even you know, have 10,000? <laughs> yeah. Do we even yeah. have 10,000? Yeah. You, you really ought to think about to, uh, to the point you made earlier, Dave, about, I think Sam looking for empirical evidence of demand that that's what makes sense here and now. Actually, I'll end it with this. I, I think at ECC, I probably gave, I, I want to rank it as one of the top 10 worst talks ever given. I, I think whatever <laughs> I said at ECC was terrible. This was in summer 2022. I was trying to relate mimetic desire, uh, which is like, you can go down that path. Uh, and, and if you read a book called Wanting, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It'll kind of teach you about the fact that people want what they think other people want, you know, whether they're in your community or whether it's like a celebrity. And anyways, this, this whole like field, if you go down that rabbit hole, it kind of explains a lot of the uh, behavior uh, within, uh, within uh, the, the crypto community. And so anyways, my, my point in all of this was, I think the takeaway from my horrible talk was that, you actually should build for the users that are already here and, and stop worrying about trying to build for the next generation of DeFi users, that the onboarding process into crypto is going to continue to be through like, I don't want to call it influencers, but let's just call it like this podcast, educators, investors. Um, we learn from others. We, we don't have to like, open up a DeFi app, knowing absolutely nothing about crypto and finance and be able to go from zero to one. That's, that's, that's a, a world in order for that to, to, to work, you'd need a world that was more financially literate. So the, the core issue to still solve is that a lot of the world is financially illiterate. Crypto actually teaches you about that through the, the rough onboarding journey. And, and that's the, it's, that, a feature, <laughs> it's a feature, not a bug. It's a feature, not a bug. That's why build for the users that are already here. It, it'll absolutely serve you well. Frax is a great example of this. It's it's doing that while preparing for a world where it can onboard that many more users because of stable coins like Frax and FRX ETH. Yeah, I actually spoke at ETC for the first time this year, uh, and my talk was about stablecoin maximalism. And to sum up like Frax pretty simply because one criticism we get of Frax is, oh, it's so big and complicated, blah, blah, blah. But like, if you just sum it up is like Frax is a stablecoin protocol that builds decentralized, innovative, innovative stablecoins and the sub protocols to support them. That's it. It's based, I like to call fractal, Frax a fractal of DeFi because all of DeFi is in, in the system. And I think it's just so simple, so beautiful. The team oh, I love been, that. Yeah, that's yeah. that is a great way to describe it, Dave. Yeah, yeah a fractal of DeFi. Yeah. yeah. If anyone's unfamiliar with that, look up. Um, well, I, I might be using the wrong definition, but I think of fractals as in like if you look at the price action in ETH from like 
2018 to 2020, you might be surprised it overlays pretty nicely with the price action from like 2022 to like now it looks like we're we're 2023 might look like the start of 2020 something. Anyways, it's a repeat in the in the pattern of like buying and selling behavior. And um, anyways, yeah, I, I absolutely could see. I can see that. It's funny. Frax does encompass like all, all the core DeFi, use cases. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All of DeFi. Like you could just start with Frax and really not learn anything else. And you would be able to take the patterns that you recognize there and go, oh, okay. I get what Convex is doing. I get what Curve's doing. I, I get what, uh, you know, all the other new protocols are doing. So, yeah. yeah that's that, it. That, you know, the only thing that's yeah. missing is perps. Perps. We just need that's perps and Kit's favorite. Yeah. Kit's <laughs> number one request is perps. Soon, soon TM, I hope. Soon TM. Yeah. Uh, on that point about convex and curve, um, that the, that ecosystem was the first part to really bootstrap Frax. Frax early on was able to recognize the power of Curve's tokenomics to lower its co- cost of capital to near zero. Um, and it was able to basically win the curve wars at a protocol level. That's what I like to say. Uh, with their curve ammo, also their allotment of convex tokens. And from there, they became the one-stop shop for any stablecoin or any project that wants liquidity and to lower their cost of capital to go and provide, have liquidity for the token or for their stablecoin. And that is probably the number one thing that's talked about by other projects, whether they were interviewed on here or on This Week in Frax. Whenever somebody partners with Frax, they always talk about cost of capital, cost of capital, and how Frax really makes it a lot easier for that to happen. And we had on Winter Soldier a bit ago, and we were talking about how, you know, if Frax, imagine if Frax didn't exist, like how much more expensive it would be to exist in DeFi, then think of like, it would be way much harder, way much more steep of a mountain to climb if Frax didn't exist. I'm seeing this pattern now repeat, repeat with, uh, how did I just pronounce re- repeat? Repeat, repeat. Um, repeat, yeah. I'm seeing this uh, happen all over again with ETH LSTs. So I remember just having, you know, interviews, you know, investor meetings, whatever, with protocols that were building stable coins. And, and one of the common, you know, one of the most common questions aside from like, how are we going to go to market was <laughs> how do we begin to bootstrap liquidity? One of the most common answers I would give is you really should reach out to Frax and, and consider trying to build a partnership there that would allow you to incentivize liquidity. And to be clear, the, the partnership seems to just continue to be this benevolent sort of offering by Frax. Frax is, is doing this <laughs> and it's, it's creating this global dominance of the Frax stablecoin. But I do think at one point in time, I'm betting that Sam and the greater Frax, you know, community were receiving criticism. Like, are, are you guys just going to incentivize like everything? Like, I don't quite understand it. And, and, and again, I, I think now it's, it's starting to become more clear that, yeah, they were taking chances uh, on newer protocols or protocols that seemed to want to be um, additive in value with, with Frax. Oh, Give me just one second. DeFi child walking in. <laughs> child. DeFi child. You know, I'm a DeFi child. 
Still, I'm a DeFi kid. Uh, fun. <laughs> My daughter just asked if we can put up a Santa Claus blow up, like inflatable. Uh, after DeFi this. Santa. So that, that's <laughs> DeFi Santa. Yeah, yeah. That's Ew. funny. They they don't they don't care at all. They just walk right in and they're just like, yeah. So what are you doing? What can you get me candy or get me get me milk or whatever they want? Mm-hmm. Um. So, anyways, that happened with stable coins. There, there was an era of that, and it's still going on. It's just that I I'm. I think we're seeing uh, less of the stablecoin forks. You know, now we're seeing more of the LST-backed stablecoins. And so anyways, all of the ETH LSTs that are coming around or, or starting to launch, those teams are now asking the same question, like, do you have any advice about how we can start to build liquidity? Mm-hmm. And the most obvious thing for me is, yeah, you should be trying to talk to Frax about pairing it with FRX ETH. Um, and, and so I, I think, I think we're at a point where, you know, it goes back to the title of the podcast flywheel. There's a flywheel there within Frax that is, is working in its favor. And so as we continue to see FRX ETH get paired with other ETH LSTs, it just creates more and more liquidity and more of like a, a dominance of FRX ETH while doing good for the rest of the the defi community so it, it yeah i i, I don't know i i just and the, i and the didn't more, know yeah. that yeah. go ahead oh no no what were you saying dave go uh, ahead and while pairing with these other lst eth peg stable coins it's increased it's increasing the yield for sfrax eth stakers because that frax eth is being paired as liquidity and those frax eth are not being you know locked and staked in sfrax eth so it's a positive flywheel in multiple that dimensions that is such a great that's such a great point. Like I, and actually, you you guys being more frax experts are are quick to to identify that. I yeah, that that's the way to think about it. Is the more LPs that are available, uh, the more like organic yield that there is to actually earn on top of like the other incentives that frax is able to um, allocate through curve and convex. The better because it's it's that smaller pool. I think smaller might be it, or it's all it's smaller or near equivalent of the un of the staked ETH. That 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 is what's earning the actual like staking yield. So that little design choice, I call it like little, like it's just so clever and just yeah. I I, I don't want to downplay the fact that like the moves that Frax has made and convex and curve. And, and again, I'm going to throw like the likes of, I think Prisma finance now, and I'll say um, zero X, uh, z- sorry, F of X, not zero X, F of X protocol. Um, mm-hmm. We've had all of these folks on like recently on the edge podcast. So I'm, I'm, I'm I have some recency bias Wait, with them. You've you had but, Prisma yeah. on too. We had Prisma on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, full disclosure. I, I hold the Prisma token now. I, I do. So just, I, I have a little I'm, I'm farming bias, Prisma, yeah. so uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, if you, it, yeah. I've been meaning to have oh, Prisma no. on the pod, so we can talk about that after the show. We did have FX on as well. Oh yeah, we, yeah. Would yeah. love to help you get a hold of them. Yeah. They're they're um they've got these you know anonymous pseudo anonymous core contributors, but I'm pretty sure that you can get their voice at least on the pod. And and yeah, like it goes back to. Uh, the the ideas we've already discussed of just like building for the users that are already here, understanding what's sticky about these this family of protocols which happen to all use V tokenomics, mm-hmm. and you know thinking 
how how can we provide products and offering offerings that attract them? And now that bootstraps our liquidity, it gets them on board. Now they're holding, in the case of the Prisma farming, they're holding that token and they're, you know, locking it up continuously. The locking up part of it, that that could be a, a whole nother part of our conversation here is just like <laughs> finding ways, finding ways to convince users to do what is in the best interest of the protocol and the token value without having to, uh, what do I want to say, like twist an arm or like hold them hostage. Like, I think these protocols all give you the choice. If, if you just want to earn curve rewards or convex rewards, you can do that and you can dump it. But if you if you start to understand the way that those protocols are designed, you see all the opportunities of like, well, I probably could be doing more here by locking it up or providing liquidity with that. You know, th this assumes that we're in a, a market that's not like 2022 where everything is is dumping yeah. to zero but but um but yeah, yeah. Th there's a lot there to unpack in terms of how clever those protocol designs I, have been i was talking about i actually um, wanted to i think last yeah go ahead kit yeah go ahead kit i just want a quick question for for uh DeFi dad here is like do you think the ve tokenomic model is gonna be here to stay like that is just the way airdrops or, or, or farming rewards are given some form of locking mechanism. It doesn't have to be four years, obviously. Um, but do you think it's going to be a staple moving forward? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, so I think it, it all depends on which protocol we're talking about in, in relation to the locking. So I think that the, flywheel that curve and convex have created is unforkable right now and and so there's new protocols like actually maverick has a v tokenomics model they're doing i would say relatively well they've got pretty impressive trade volume it tends to be like top three or four on ethereum mainnet top uh number one on like zk sync and it's growing on some other chains like base um or l2s um but I, I, so, okay, like things move so quickly. Like my gut is just to say in like five years that V tokenomics, you know, could totally be gone, you know, eradicated by some next evolution. But I, I actually think there is a foundation there that works. So like, I think the next evolution of V tokenomics that we've seen this cycle. So this is moving beyond like, let's say 2021 was the end of the bull cycle. And, and we started this new horrific cycle that was 2022, 2023, and now we're potentially in a new bull run. Um, I think that uh, I, I think that the next evolution has been uh, the Prisma Finance offering with Convex, where if you earn the retroactive airdrop with the Prisma points that they offered, those tokens were claimable depending on who you were and how you earned them. They were claimable as a vesting token, which was locked up for 26 to 52 weeks. So uh, half a year to a full year. Then the other opportunity there was instead you could just claim it like everything that you claim, whether you're farming or you earned a retroactive airdrop, it's all claimable instantly through convex. So Convex has moved beyond just Curve and Frax, and now it's trying to uh, 
suck up the token supply of these other projects like Prisma and F of X protocol. And so th this caught me off guard. Like I, I kind of knew, you know, because of what had been published and uh, online that, you know, th there would be some sort of a locking mechanism. But on the day that the Prisma finance uh, retroactive airdrop went live, going to Convex and realizing, hey, uh, I really could just claim this all as CVX Prisma, lock it up, earn some crazy high yield, knowing that it's, by the way, it's very illiquid still. The CVX Prisma is not liquid, like there's no liquidity for it. But knowing the way that Convex operates, they will start to allocate rewards and build deep liquidity for that, like they have for CVX Curve. It's just going to take some time. I, yeah. I mean, right now, like the, the clock's ticking and there, there's nothing that you could do. If you had CVX, I'm sorry, if you had um, uh, locked Prisma that was vesting over 26 to 52 weeks, you, you're also just sitting on this token that is earning uh, some rewards and uh, gives you a boost uh, in the protocol. So anyways, I, I, I think that that, uh, I want to call it a lock drop. I can't remember the lock exact drop. term That's that it. was used. That's it. Lock, just drop. It lock drop. That's yeah. just, you're getting everything you want. Lock drop means that on the day of your token launch and soon after, you're having your token locked up no matter what. But in this case, it's being locked up ultimately by Convex. Convex is seen as a fairly positive sum player in the space, you know, a, a team that is here to stay and is not going to rug. So now they're locking up the token. The token now is going to be used rightfully the way it should be in the protocol to, you know, boost yield and allocate rewards used for governance. Um, so it's just a win-win overall for the protocol and its token holders. Um, and it's a great story to tell, too, of like it's it's sitting in the hands of convex holders, which maybe that's the whole other conversation of I'm not a convex uh, token holder, but man, I, I look at it and think CVX holders control 65% or something of the supply of like Curve. Oh, well, there's <laughs> Convex, of course, itself. There's F of X, there's Prisma, there's Frax, uh, the FXS uh, token. And I think there's another one too, the FPIS token, if that, oh, yeah, FI, I'm yeah, thinking FPIS. of that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a huge supply of that that's been sucked up there. So yeah. What do you guys think of the lock drop? Am I, am I overplaying it? Or like, I feel like if you are a V tokenomics model that plans to be incorporated into that curve convex frax family, like you, you yeah. do yourself a hell of a lot of good by, by getting it I, yeah, uh, I find it in sync with them. Yeah. I find it interesting how convex didn't onboard a new token onto their platform for two years, pretty much. It was Curve was their first, then Frax FXS. They still got, you know, FXS early, so they were able to get a meaningful amount of the FXS supply. And they waited two years, and, you know, it's much more, it's all about timing, and much more about timing than anything else. And it probably took, like, a, a bit for a protocol, like either FFX token, which is from Aladdin Dow, who's been working with Convex for a while, or the Prisma guys, to, you know, create a tokenomics that was quite friendly towards convex and to like have the co convex like want to include them on their platform. So it makes sense uh, for something like the lock shop to happen and for that to be a uh, part of the evolution to, uh, you know, 
to the, the VE system. And I'm sure like we're going to get more iterations like that. I wouldn't call that like a huge step forward, but it's definitely like a strong iteration forward. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, we, we haven't like uh, built a spaceship and, and gone to Mars yeah. here, but it's, it, it is, it's a step in the right direction. And, and I think it, again, it goes back to this, like, how can we, continue to build for and design products that cater to our existing user base. You know, for convex users, this is huge. Like it's sucking up more and more of these different token supplies and 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 that's gonna accrue value, I think, to the CVX token over time. Um, but meanwhile, all these other new ecosystems like a Prisma is mm -hmm. is basically bootstrapping interest among those that are already in convex. And, you know, you, you make so, a good yeah. point that FX protocol and Prisma are literally protocols built for existing users, whether it's FX protocol with their low volatility stablecoin product and high volatility ETH um, uh, stablecoin as well, or if it's Prisma for all these, everyone that has their LSTs, SRX ETH and all the other ones, if they want to, you know, have another stable and go play some more farming games, boom, there's Prisma. So, um, I feel like the whole convex ecosystem builds for existing users. And I feel like you have this, you know, um, like growing class of, you know, I guess like convex coins, you would call them everybody like this, like self-sufficient ecosystem of convex coins that are growing together. And there's this flywheel, whether it's convex holding the governance curve with the liquidity fracks with the stable coin, um, and helping lower the cost of capital for all everyone else. Um, it's a really interesting flywheel and each new, token and each new ecosystem that gets added makes that flywheel stronger and more resilient. Yeah, the uh, uh, F of X, they, they wanted to create a floating ETH stable coin. They wanted to create something that was more censorship resistant than uh, some of the, the USD peg stable coins um, and some of the LSTs that are, you know, exposed in some manner to some centralized risk. And, and so you know, you, you could argue that if if you create these protocols at the start of a bear market, um, they, they really do potentially like die off because the, the the issue in a crypto bear market is that your most like loyal user base is, is just getting crushed, you know, by the bear market. I mean, everyone is, but the folks that stick around, everyone's getting crushed. There's so much value destruction and it's tough. It's just a really tough time to convince folks to put what what little capital they have left to work in new protocols, knowing that those new protocols are unlikely to attract a lot of attention while everyone is running around in, in total chaos. It's the total uh, opposite of that when we move back into a bull run where mm -hmm. Folks start to believe that everything can work for better or worse. They start to believe that, you know, every idea is a good idea. And, and so as, as those loyal, you know, longtime crypto users, DeFi users, as their portfolios grow, uh, they're not going to let their capital sit idle. They're going to, you know, make sure that it's being maximally put to work. And, and that's where I think it's, it puts us into a really interesting situation with the likes of Frax having survived a, a um, well, technically Frax started at the end of one bear market, lived through a bull market, and now has, I, I would argue, we've lived through another bear market. So I'm really excited. Like this is DeFi's, <clears throat> this, this 
bull run that I, I think we're already in is the first time that DeFi has has now survived the thrashing that it did. And so mm. it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how things play out. Like, I, I think like a lot of projects died and the, the long-term builders have only grown, you know, like it's, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, the numbers aren't quite where we want them to be, you know, in terms of trade volume on chain and the, um, the growth of stable coins, I think is still so early. Like, you know, we, we'll, we're going to see the liquidity of stable coins like Frax and, and all the other stable coins. I think collectively those USD pegged stable coins are going to be worth a trillion, you know, in, in, mm, in, absolutely. in this coming bull run. Ooh, um, this so coming that, bull that's run. exciting. We like the sound of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I do tend to overestimate on that. Maybe actually last bull run at the start of it, we had just hit 1 billion in total value locked. And you can argue till you're blue in the face about how flawed that metric is TVL, but it was an amazing rallying cry for DeFi, just the way that the price point of Bitcoin and every other token was. It was like a number to say like, look at that thing, continue to go up. And that's because we're doing our job and we're, you know, onboarding folks to the future of finance. I, I, I remember though, when we hit a billion people thinking, oh, it, it, you know, it's very unlikely that it's going to go that much higher, you know, because people were in denial at the end of the last bear market. And then I think it went to like 250 billion. Um, yeah, I, I am speak. thinking, yeah. Yep. yeah, I think this is the same sort of thing. We're, we're going to, we're going to see, Trade volume on chain is going to go nuts. Perps trading on chain, like let's say true decentralized perps trading, that's going to go nuts. Stable coins uh, like basically grow uh, during stable coins, like the, the total uh, value of stable coins seems to grow at all times other than when you are truly at the worst, like the bottom of the bear market where everything's stagnant and everyone's sort of looking at each other like, are we going to drop another 50% or is this like shit show finally done with? And and so I, I know there was a pause in the growth of stable coins this year, but I, I, I want to say I had just seen, um, I think it was like my buddy Dynamo Patrick might have mentioned, he noticed on DeFi Llama that like the total – amount of stable coins on chain yep. was finally starting to grow. We covered so, that at Flywheel. That's exciting. Right? Yeah. You did. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Shout out Sam, yeah. our producer, covering that. Yeah. How, like, how hey, long guys. ago was that, guys? Do you recall? Like, what, it, was it was just like just month. weeks or months Maybe ago? Maybe like two, yeah, three months ago. ago. Yeah. 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 That's exciting. That's that's huge, right? Like, it, it seems like a pretty, like, uh, you know, minor sort of thing to pay attention to. But I'm like, you know, we only have so much data on chain that you know can help us to tell a story and make sense of all the different behaviors out there and and you know of course i'm thrilled that prices are going up and and you know we're we're seeing like a rising tide lift all boats but um the fundamentals that i think the the three of us and many others are focused on um you know we we want to see fundamental growth like the the total market cap of all stable coins like that that's a hell of a of a nice metric to to look at um i still think total value locked is actually a great metric i i just don't think like it's very unfair to compare uh a lending and borrowing app with like 
a, a DEX mm, or uh, maybe a perps exchange, right? Like it's not taking into account the capital efficiency involved and the, the different utility involved in these different dApps. But but still, it, it's a great number. It's like you look at, let's say we look at uh, Uniswap V3. Um, if the total amount of ETH, let's not even say USD, total amount of ETH is growing that's exciting. Like we know that there's more capital being deposited into Uniswap, and and that's, I have a really um, funny a story, story about about TVO. Um, so back in DeFi summer, when I first you know was getting exposed to the world of Ethereum, because before I was at Everpedia, which was in EOS land, which is funny enough, and to hearing the news that bullish broad CoinDesk, it's just like it's it just took me back for a second, reminded me of the story. So. Uh, with TVL, um, I remember, do you remember pasta? Do you remember? <laughs> I do remember that. I, I, I never got into it, but I remember the, the memes of like, there was like, it's your, all pasta. Your, yeah. All it's that all stuff. pasta. Yeah. But when yeah. that came out, I had like no conception of TVL. What was a lot of TVL and what was a little of TVL and Everpedia had this product on EOS called predict. Um, which was a prediction market on EOS. And I made a prediction market of <laughs> will pasta have $500 million in TVL by X date. And I had like no conception of like, is that a lot or a little? And, and like it went viral on Twitter and everybody was like, I remember Robert Lesher tweeting something like if we, if this gets to $500 million TVL, we should really consider why we're all here. And like, and like it was really, it was really funny. That's and hilarious. Like, yeah. And, and it was like, how I do I that. like, how do I like, you know, participate in this prediction market. It's like, oh, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just funny, like, like thinking about like, the, and to, to that point of you were saying like TVL is like not perfect of a metric, but it does give a good signal of like the amount of like interest and the amount of traction a protocol has. Yeah. I, I think uh, that that's it. it it's, it's uh, playing that, that uh, meme of like the bell curve and, you know, you, you can yes, sit in the middle exactly. of the curve and, and, and be very uh, methodical in that analysis. But you got to remember that um, crypto is very reflexive. And so when things are bad, they get really bad really quickly. They tend to like overcorrect to the downside. But when things are really good, they tend to overshoot values to the upside and, I think, knock on wood, uh, that we are in that phase now where things are starting to shoot to the upside. We we absolutely have not, you know, mm -hmm. overshot value. We're we're kind of we're making up ground from all of the value that was destroyed uh, during the the bear market. So, anyways, wh when you when you look at that that meme of um, it's like the Jedi on the right side and the the person who's has a lower IQ on the left side, it. It, there's some truth to that. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that uh, I remember when I first got into crypto, I remember looking at what year is this? Uh, th this was so this is uh, uh, fall 2017. I, I actually still feel like a total newbie getting in in fall class 2017. 2017. I, I like compare class the of 2017. Let's go. Me and Kate. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to benchmark off the, the guys that got in and whatever, 2010 to 2013 and think, wow, those, those people really, really probably had a tough time, like convincing themselves and sticking with this because things were so early. So back in 2017, 
I mean, I remember just looking at the fully diluted valuation or the market cap, actually not knowing the difference between the two and thinking, okay, um, so uh, let, let's say uh, a token like like Ether and just looking at it in comparison to Bitcoin and thinking, well, can't it follow the same path? I mean, it's I, I'm new to this, but they kind of look the same, except Ether seems to be faster and lets us do that much more you know like when you don't know anything you're just you're just comparing everything and you're looking at the simplest numbers market caps um how many token holders are there um how how much has it gone up in the past seven days versus 30 days and so on so obviously you evolve beyond that if you stay in the space mm -hmm. hopefully you survive and don't get completely wrecked making such simple comparisons but even as you become more knowledgeable and you understand the way that the crypto community values or overvalues or undervalues certain protocols, I think it's important to not lose touch with just, again, how difficult it is to onboard into this space and to absorb all that knowledge. And so, you know, there, there are times where, again, I look at the, the bell curve meme and think to myself, like, I'm totally being that like middle of the curve type person right now and I'm overthinking it when like really numbers going up and that's a positive and folks are going to continue to be excited for this. Um, I like to give a, uh, probably the simplest example for me is I was watching Solana during the bear market thinking, I know that there's a lot of fundamentals here. I know that folks are still building. I'm sure it will come back. But man, it's facing some crazy headwinds with FTX and just all the selling pressure. And I, for me personally, my plan was to kind of sit comfortably, uh, not being a, a longtime sole investor and look for an opportunity to be able to possibly accumulate it. And, and so for me, I finally saw that opportunity at some point with like, just the absolute capitulation of selling below $10 and then sort of seeing the sentiment shift. I almost feel like it's gotten a little bit uh, too arrogant and cocky too quickly. Like mm -hmm. the there's still is. everything. Right, yeah. Everything's, everything's getting built on uh, Ethereum L2s, but there's a lot of awesome activity there on Solana as well. And other ecosystems like Cosmos. Um, so, uh, it, I want to say like, okay, the takeaway from all of this is that you start out with a, a really simple understanding of what's in front of you. And then as you advance and become more knowledgeable, it, it doesn't mean that you should forget where everyone starts. And I, I've tried to continually gut check myself and remind myself by either talking to folks, you know, reading their posts on Twitter, listening to spaces, whatever, and being reminded like, not everybody is able to work full time in crypto and have the luxury that I do of like talking to you guys and other mm -hmm. experts uh, in the field. Like that's a real privilege. So I, I get to absorb a lot of that information and try to like, you know, spit it back out to the masses and, and turn it into like a story that is uh, digestible. So anyways. Yeah, that's what we try to do here. I mean, yeah, we're all so lucky that we live and breathe this space and have the opportunity to constantly be around information. And when you said gut check, like I really resonate with that because I constantly try to gut check myself, uh, whether it's in crypto or DeFi or in the Frax ecosystem, because everything just evolves so fast and it's easy to get 
complacent and cocky. And like, you know, I think like the space has like a way of dealing with pride. And like, once you feel like, yeah, like, you know, I'm so far ahead, blah, blah, blah. It has a real way of like knocking you down. Totally. Like uh, when, when you make those sort of generalized statements, like honestly, I kind of made one a few minutes ago there. I said, uh, everything's being built on Ethereum L2s. Well, what I really mean is that there is more trade volume. There's more liquidity on Ethereum L2s and on Ethereum mainnet than anywhere else right now, collectively. Mm -hmm. Fine. That's the state of the world. I absolutely believe that EVM will continue to be very dominant. Um, if not the most dominant. Uh, but does that mean that we should ignore uh, what's being built elsewhere? And I, I think like the, the best, you know, the best uh, lesson that I've taken from all of this is just continue to be open-minded, have conviction in, in why you're involved in the likes of fracks. You know, you have to have it to be able to survive these horrible bear markets, but don't like totally turn your mind off to what's new. Um, you know, yeah. there, there's in a bull run, everyone chases the next shiny object and it, it becomes unbearable. Like we're, we're now uh, coming out of the bear market, wanting people to be just interested, like new people to come in and be interested and to, for the space to grow. But if you remember the end of the last bull run, I mean, it, it really, be, I mean, you see some really disgusting behavior. It just feels like everyone yeah. is is chasing the next shiny object Perfect. with yeah. the like maximum mm -hmm. amount of greed in, in mind. Yeah. So, yeah, you gotta ride the ups and downs of the space and keep even a level the beginning head. beginning of this bulls market is kind of unbearable to be honest. It's hard to look at the timeline, and you really have to uh, kind of customize it to your liking and not get distracted or get FOMO. Like I find myself constantly muting people in words because I, I, you know, observe myself saying like, why am I feeling this way? It's like, Oh, like I'm feeling missing out on something. And, you know, for, you have to like realize like whatever you do in the space, whether you're a developer or a builder or a writer or a trader, you have to keep your eye on the prize. And to keep that eye on the prize, you have to like be able to get in the zone and focus. And if you can't get in the zone and focus because you're constantly feeling FOMO, then like I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's a marathon. I, I think of this whole this space is a marathon, and and you know it's it's about surviving long term and and not thinking about and not blowing uh, up, <laughs> not blowing up, and not blowing up, not having yeah. to like FOMO into every you know, opportunity, uh, out there. So yeah, it's, but also too, I, I guess like part of my job at like fourth revolution capital. So we, you know, we're a, a smaller fund in the space compared to some of the other funds, but we, we focus on DeFi web three games and this like cross section now of AI and, and crypto. And those are pretty like big sectors that I just named there. So mm -hmm. anyways, you have to also, you know, find some sort of pattern recognition in this space, whether it be with like founders or with protocol design. And I mean, I'll, I'll say that, like, I just constantly feel like I'm always behind and yeah. like I'm I'm losing my own edge on on this space and and and, you know, not keeping up with what's new. I actually just today, I think I mentioned to uh, Nomadic, the co-hosts the edge podcast with me i was like dude i just feel like i'm really falling behind in terms of uh th like the basics 
of of what's happening at this like bleeding edge of AI, you know? So just the basics is, is what I'm referring to. And obviously like I tend to like focus more on like, well, where would AI work really well with Web3 and specifically DeFi? Like could DeFi be using AI as like a digitally native intelligence layer and vice versa? Could, you know, AI use the value transfer and the value storage um, that's digitally native within DeFi? So anyways, that, you know, I, I, I stick to my roots of DeFi and Web3 crypto, but yeah, you just, how, how can you keep up with all this information? Like yeah. there's just, there's so much happening there. And, and, you know, I think, think the answer is you gotta, <laughs> that's why you gotta, fo- you, you yeah. gotta figure out your lane and stick to it. Mm-hmm. So and that's why we focus on Frax. You know, I feel like the general consensus here is that we are back in, or we are closely inching towards a bull market but could you walk me through what were some of these signs that you're seeing that's making you say this boy that's a good that's a good question uh what were some of the signs here recently uh, i feel like when eth hit 2000 like that was a real sentiment change like i felt the vibe yeah, shift and, and to be fair i actually thought so i thought we were in a bull before eth hit 2000 um Okay, well, one of the things that that happen that's like a, a very like common sign is you start to see the meme coins going off. Like you, you know, I've noticed that a uh, uh, Bonk on Solana was doing really well. By the way, I don't hold Bonk. Just commenting on the fact that the token had gone wild and uh, it, it it actually it was going up in price, and every other alt seemed to be going up in price in the spring. I thought in the spring that that was the first sign of like that that initial wave upwards from the bottom of the bear market. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here we're starting to see this crazy buying behavior. We're starting to see an intense amount of FOMO that's leading to ridiculous price movements over very short periods of time. Um, and then I really did believe like the correction that was happening during the summertime or like starting into like the fall there that correction looked like a very you know normal correction for me in in when the market is has turned bullish again the issue of course is when you're coming out of the bear market there's there's a lot of denial and in, in like are we back in a bull run or is is this like a is this bear one of those classic bull traps yeah yeah are we still in the bear market but we're like being led to slaughter and so Anyways, uh, more recently, there's been, yeah, the short-term price movements that have felt unreasonable, you know, where like you look at a token and it launches and the token has gone up like 20, 30%. And then the next day it's up 10%. The next day it's up another 20. Like we haven't seen that sort of price action in quite a while. It's just been like down, down and then recover like 1% and, and continue to, to sell off. Um, Another one has been token launches. So I, I think throwing aside the more generalized idea of like the price action looking more more bullish. Uh, mm-hmm. There was the token launch for Tia, Celestia. Oh, yeah. Uh, th- like that one shot up to billions almost immediately. And it seems to be holding its value. I'm not looking at a price. Uh, I'm not looking at a price chart right now, but like that thing holding billions in a fully diluted valuation was not surprising to me, but in a bear market, no way. 
that that token goes sub 1 billion instantly and there's a story of like wow where does the, where's the bottom on this thing it's just continuing to sell off i think the fact that that token has continued to um hold a multi-billion dollar valuation is, is pretty impressive prisma had an insane token launch you know that that now it looked familiar to me in terms of like a bull market where it shoots up uh, to an absurd price overnight because there's uh, a low float and it's and it's selling off and we're trying to find where's that fair market value. You know, folks just going to keep selling until, you know, the market decides that enough is enough and, and um, it's time to start buying. But that could have never happened in 2022. I, I mean, I remember Velodrum launching and Velodrum is a yeah. much different protocol, but like, I mean, Velodrum was like 25 million to maybe like 5 million fully diluted all during the summer 2022. So mm -hmm. it, I, I think the takeaway from all of that is just that th there's just so many headwinds working against you. You know, there's... Uh, Oh, I guess, wait, here's a third marker for me. It feels like all of the, all of the really scary macro talk finally died off. Like we, we had uh, the overhang of uh, Gary Gensler and the SEC who, you know, looked like they were going to just continue to squash uh, DeFi protocols and, mm -hmm. Like legitimate builders, like I really do believe they have, you know, really like come down hard on some look, like very legitimate the open, folks. The open guys. Yeah, yeah. Did the oh, did the open guys totally shut down? Is that I, like they like the? I think like so, I think I saw like the two founders just like left there and just like not in crypto anymore or whatnot. Really hostile. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could see that. So so there's a good example. Opyn uh, open though. That was a team that was early to building DeFi options, absolutely forward thinking as a team, good people that I, I got to interview them a number of times. Like you, you talk about like, like they were like flagship types of builders, like starry eyed young people who had like a grand vision and wanted to build to democratize access to financial tools that aren't available, um, you know, elsewhere. So anyways, that that sort of uh, uh, what do I want to say that uh, negative impact that they had on the space finally seems to be less of a talking point. I, I think it did help too that uh, the Bitcoin ETF talk and the Ethereum uh, ETH uh, spot ETF uh, application those are just like wildly bullish types of uh, stories. I'm not going to say whether or not the, they they guarantee that the price of these tokens has to go up because of the amount of um, those tokens that have to be bought to satisfy ETF holders in the future. I think it's more about give us a positive story that we can believe in and reinforce, you know, that crypto will see a greater adoption, mass adoption, however you measure that. So the, those that was another one that came out of nowhere. There was like the false news story by Cointelegraph. Telegraph, which, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they kind of like, to, to be fair, like th that story was like a few weeks, you know, uh, ahead of its time in terms of 
like the takeaway at being like, hey, the applications are moving along. I recognize the headline was false, but the, the takeaway was that the space was moving forward. And, you know, we still don't have confirmation of this, but I, I think that <clears throat> it wasn't the fact that that the those stories came out or the fact that the spot ETFs could get approved any day. It was the fact that everyone perceived that as positive and was actually acting on it and buying and talking about the fact that like, hey, like, I think the worst is behind us. You know, you have to convince more people that the worst is behind them or they have to come to that conclusion themselves. And I'll say I felt uh, that sort of confidence probably around the time this ETF news started to come out, like, hey, I, I thought, I think it was like a hope that I had that that the worst was behind us, but I'm like, now I'm convinced. And, and here's the final icing on the cake. Now reminds me, it's, you know, November, 2023. Now reminds me of like late 2019, early 2020 with uh, DeFi, where I'm looking around and I'm like, there's so much cool stuff that's been built that is useful and that's about to launch. Like um, we interviewed Infinity Pools. You guys did too. We, we, yeah, we interviewed uh, them early. The inf Infinity Pools, such a cool protocol. Like I think like it's it's going to be a um, it's going to be a type of protocol that people use because you can use such incredibly high leverage on it and and feel a little bit less degenerate than the way you use leverage on other perps platforms. So they're a good example of of uh, the really innovative types of teams that are out there that have been building and now they've got the product live. And I, I think I think now the market hasn't caught up. I, I, I feel the way I did back in late 2019, early 2020, where I'm like, it's so obvious that this is gonna work now and that there's all this like utility, but for whatever reason, people are still you know, living in that 2022 mindset, you know, I've, I've got mm -hmm. friends and family that are like, is crypto like doing better now? Is it going to like yeah. survive? And, I had, and I'm like, you okay? you're crazy <laughs> to not recognize it. that I had, you know, people like left the industry that I know. Um, I think like all those are tall, tall tale signs that, you know, things are, you know, forming a foundation for the bull to take place. When every, when all the tourists leave, and then, you know, the real ones are left, the builders are left, the ones that like stay through thick and thin are left. And then that, you know, gives like a sign to the market guys like, all right, time to run it back. Guys, do you see any other signs that like, I've, I think I covered four or five yeah. different like signals there, but I, I, I kind of like laugh at, I said, uh, the fact that the prices are going up, you're, you're like, oh, you think we're in a bull run because prices? Yes, we are in a bull run because <laughs> prices yeah. went up. But yeah. you, you get the, the point. The ETF. So I let think, me summarize like, here. Go ahead. Uh, yep. Dave, one sec. Let me summarize the points that that uh, DeFi Dad was just laying down here. It's like, first was meme coins kind of going off. All right, interesting. Risk capital is flowing in or flowing there. Second is price action in the sense of like token launches like Celestia. We've the way you put it was really eloquent is we haven't seen something that goes up 20% today, 10% tomorrow, and then 20% more the day after. Like we have yet to see that. We've been, you know, what I, I call bear conditioned to always expect it to do this and then punish, but it didn't. So that really changed the paradigm. And thirdly is the macro sentiment 
completely changing in, in regards to the uh, basically the attack on crypto per se. So those are kind of like the three largest, yeah. you know, salient points, I feel. Um, I would add a fourth to that, which is what we mentioned earlier, was that stable coin supply increasing. I think that Great is point. very yes. clear. Yeah. Like we've, we haven't seen that in a long time, you know? I think there was this, uh, the Tether bot on Twitter that posts like, you know, X million of Tether has been minted. I haven't seen that thing go off in so long. And it popped up on my timeline, like I think earlier this this week or so. And I was like, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Capital is coming in. Yeah. Those are, those are the same with mine too, lining up. Yeah, you gotta take you gotta take those wins. Uh, actually, there's there, there was um, oh, I want to say Alex Vanenik or something like that. I, he's the founder of Nansen. He had a really clever list of like top ten reasons we're back or something, and and one of them was that SBF is convicted too. Like that was a black cloud that hung over the space. I think it's crazy to think like a year ago. We were living with the aftermath of FTX and uncovering all of this fraud. And that's just, that's how quickly the crypto space changes. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, obviously there's a lot of unrest in the world still, but, you know, there was clearly a lot of worry about different wars uh, erupting. I mean, I feel like most recently the, um, in the aftermath of the terrorist attack on Israel and then in the aftermath of uh, uh, the um, Russia invading Ukraine. I mean, the, these are pretty uh, awful, intense world events. You know, people dying and there being a risk of more people dying. And and I, I think rightfully, of course, the markets price that in. And, and uh, it, it's th these events are not resolved at, by any means. Um, there's still a lot of unrest, but I think the shock of what happened there, uh, you know, globally is, is for better or worse, has has somewhat um, how waned in its intensity. Mm -hmm. Like we're not we're not feeling uh, the uh, the shock of it as much now. So that said, there's I'll say like there's another bit of optimism. Like for folks that are in the United States, we're coming into an election year. Election years tend to be bullish. And I, I think it's as simple as uh, it doesn't matter who you are, who you vote for. When you believe that you have someone, a candidate that is going to do a better job and that life could be better under them, uh, it it creates an optimism. And so, yeah, I, I could actually see going into election year being very bullish Um I mean, that was the last setup was what, 2020, yeah, 2020 going in, we, you know, it, it lines up with these, uh, the Bitcoin havings happen to line up with these uh, U.S. presidential elections. So <laughs> how convenient. Yeah, there's just, there's, yeah, yeah, how convenient. There's, there's a, well, it's, it's cause the, uh, isn't it the NSA or CIA started Bitcoin, oh, Of course. Right? Isn't that the, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. So of course. Um, that's a joke yeah. if anyone hears that, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, switch gears a bit uh, to talk about, instead of just DeFi, um, the state of storytelling and media in DeFi and crypto, uh, because, you know, you're a part of it with the EdgePod and you've been creating content for, you know, as long as I can, like I said at the beginning of the pod, as long as I can, met, uh, can remember. Uh, so in your opinion, uh, what is the state of storytelling within DeFi? What do you like that you see? What do you 
don't like so much that you see. Um, this could be like tutorials. This could be podcasts. This could be anything video media related, podcast related, anything. So I'm very proud that I, I think we've continued to like evolve and grow as like a, as a space. I, I swear back in 2019, 2020, that it was very rare to listen to a podcast or watch any, any sort of crypto content and hear a disclosure. And I think that, Oh, there we go. That's another, another call for Santa, uh, for me to put up some Santa, uh, inflatable thing on our lawn. Um, okay. If you go back to, yeah, 2019, let's say, I don't think there was a lot of, uh, folks disclosing like when they had an investment and, and I do feel like that's become more of a norm. Like it seems, you know, ridiculous. Maybe it's a low bar to set, but yeah, there's there's little things like that. I, I think we as a space have become more transparent. They're, sure, there's still like bad actors and grifters and and all of that. But um, I, I do think there's you know there's folks like you guys who are trying to tell the story of uh, I want to say like you're, you're like trying to cover like the indie rock bands of of yeah. DeFi that, that, and this is, uh, that's how I would describe the edge podcast. Like we're mm. trying to uncover the next generation of promising builders and protocols before they go mainstream and have like billions of dollars deposited in, in liquidity. Um, every so often we do cover a, a mega builder like Instadap or Frax, but I, I do think like we're doing a really good job. Um, I'll say like you, you guys and us and, and others, of uh you know telling stories that are compelling like i think like there is some muscle memory to to that and and it takes a lot of practice like i'm still not super satisfied with with everything that we put out through the edge podcast but then i have to compare it to like if i look back at what i was making with an iMovie recording it all in one take uh like it was brutal, like the production quality of what I used to put out and, you know, thank God people were so forgiving and like, were willing to watch that because there was no content back then. Now it's a lot more competitive. And as a result of that, you know, I think the editing that you guys do and, and I do after these podcasts really makes a difference. I'm not doing it to like, to hide my, uh, my inability to speak clearly at all times without filler words. I'm doing it because I'm just trying to make the story as easy to listen to as possible. So, you know, putting things visually on screen the way that you guys do, like you do some really clever animations, that makes a big difference for folks to be able to, uh, you know, consume some of these really complex topics that like that you'll cover on the podcast. Um, so I've actually, I'll, I'll say this, uh, the, the edge podcast for me right now is like, it's like a hybrid of where I started and kind of like where I wanted to, to take my content next, which was, I wanted it to be more polished, but I didn't want it to lose the sort of like charisma or genuine nature of like just me recording myself talking about protocols and trying to like help people like mm. understand step-by-step step how to use them. Um, I do, I'll say this. I kind of miss doing just the tutorials. I, 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 nostalgia. Keep, yeah. I, I keep t 
telling myself that like I might return to just doing tutorials at some point. So what I've done with the Edge podcast, what Nomadic and I are able to do is uh, we do the interview with the idea that you could just listen to it like like any other podcast, but we try to methodically structure the questions so that it's almost like, you know, it's like, here's everything that you would ask or need to know to get started. And then I will record mm. myself clicking through uh, the application. And so I try to turn it into a tutorial, but it's still not quite the same as like, all right, so next I'm going to do this. I'm going to click here. I'm going to click there. Like I do miss that. And I know that that adds quite a bit of value. And and there's other folks out there doing uh, straight up tutorials like that. Like I, I really like mm -hmm. Dynamo Patrick. I think he mm -hmm. does a really good job with, um, yeah. with, with tutorials. So anyways, uh, the more generalized view though of content today in DeFi and crypto is it's really impressive. The production quality, there's yeah. a lot of content out there. I, I think like if you're into like TikTok, it's, you know, someone just talking into their phone and, and they do a great job and they weave in all the subtitles and like, they put in stock footage and it's, it's really snappy. It's meant to be 60 seconds of video. But then I think again, like the type of content you guys are doing and I'm doing, I, I love the idea of having these longer conversations. Sometimes I guess we do 35, 40 minute like podcasts that are a little bit shorter than the average one. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the, the, the production quality has, has really gotten to be that much more impressive and, what will be interesting in this next bull run is another space I think I'm really bullish on is is uh, Web3 content, Web3 social. So like we post all of our podcast videos aside from YouTube, we put them onto Lens. And I do believe that like having some ownership in those rails could be huge. Because like with YouTube, like I'm always just one notification away from being kicked off. You know, I mm. mean, it's 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 very scary to me that like you really could be kicked off for whatever reason. Someone reports you and says that you covered a financial product that shouldn't be covered. Someone could make a mistake, ban your account. And now you're in a begging uh, position with YouTube saying, Hey, please. Like, I think there's a misunderstanding. Like, can you yeah. guys please let me into it? You don't own it. And so that that's a really compelling use case for crypto content creators to start to adopt something where you actually own the rails with, with web three. When, when you talked about the tutorials um, and how like, that's how you got started in DeFi and creating content. that reminds me of myself uh, with writing. I got started really in DeFi kind of writing threads and that's how DeFi Dave came about. I've been on Twitter for way too long, um, but like DeFi Dave started in 2020 and uh, back in 2021, I started writing for the defiant which I saw you're an advisor for. Um, and from like 2021 to like 2022, I would write articles uh, about the conferences I'd go to. I was working at Gelato at the time and I was able, this is my thing. I'd get like a press pass for the Defiant and then I'd go like interview people and I would be, and I would let my natural curiosity drive the articles and drive what I was interested, like drive what I would write about. Um, and I did that like for several conferences and, you know, you can still see them on the Defiant website, you know, Cam, Shadow Cammy, friend of the show. Um, and I feel like I use that same natural curiosity and interest to, for the questions I use on the pod. I want to, we may not be like the most beginner podcast and we try to be as beginner as possible, but we really are like the podcast for the more intermediate 
advanced DeFi user. Like we really like to get into the dirt, gritty, dirty details of how a protocol works, how a builder thinks. And a lot of times we hear from guests on the show about like, this is usually the, if not always like their favorite pod that they're on because of the way me and Kit construct the interviews and me as the word cell and Kit as the shape rotator, we make a pretty good duo and team there. I love what you said about uh, whether it was writing for the Defiant or producing the podcast here, kind of leading with that genuine uh, curiosity. That is, I, I think that's that's our greatest strength with the Edge podcast. But it's also like I would argue it's probably the thing that will hinder us from growing the way that I, you know, I'd love for us to like grow to like a million subscribers. Mm. I, I have my doubts that y- you can you can grow as quickly as others will grow without chasing the more clickbaity types of things without like, no doubt people would love to just hear podcast after, after podcast of crypto investors saying why they're so bullish on crypto. And, and, and there's lots of other folks that do that. They do a good job with that. But like, <laughs> I, I really do want to like, I want to cover stories that are compelling to folks, but I feel like if we don't cover uh, the stories of infinity pools mm-hmm. and F of X protocol and Prisma finance. And uh, we just recorded and hopefully we'll get this out in the next few days. We did one with these guys who do uh, you can trade real estate indexes on Solana called parcel. I'm just like, well, what, what's the point of, of yeah. covering the same talking heads? I want to talk to the folks who look like they have a really promising idea have um, some compelling product market fit figured out and could grow to be an enormous protocol serving a wider group of folks in the DeFi space. Will we strike out? Absolutely. Like we, you know, we, we are absolutely going to pick out some losers at times that will die off very quickly. But I, I do think there's, there's this information asymmetry in crypto that, continues to carry forth despite all the the uh, great content that's now being put out there. The fact that like in 2019, I think I, I was like one of, if not the only person making any sort of DeFi related content. And now it's, it's, it's all over the place. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's being mentioned in, you know, even the YouTubers who only talk about crypto prices are covering or interested in DeFi. So that's cool, you know, because it's it's like a I think it's the killer use case or it's one of the killer use cases of crypto and blockchain. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've we've got, you know, we've got a long way to go, but I'm hoping I, I hope when people listen to uh, Flywheel, DeFi and the Edge podcast, I hope that they're recognizing a concerted effort to try to spotlight uh, who are. Uh, builders that are looking to make like a meaningful impact in the space who are really looking to move the needle, not just like copy paste the same perps exchange and rebrand it and put a new logo on it and make a token go up a hundred X, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm not, I'd love to see uh, protocols we cover. I'd love to see for their token valuations to go up. Like that's fantastic. But like, for me, it's like, are they, attracting lots of capital? Are they growing their number of like daily, monthly active users? Um, Are they making DeFi that much more appealing in comparison to traditional finance? 
Yeah, uh, to going full circle uh, to what you said at the beginning of the pod, you were talking about how, you know, there are protocols out there that are, you know, they may be trying to make for new users or like consumer dApps and con consumer applications for new users. And then there are protocols that make for, that create for existing users. And the new users, they kind of like, oh, they see something shiny, they try it out and they go on. They're not loyal. Um, going full circle, you can apply to the same to content as well. You have a lot of beginner content out there, and then you just have people that are, you know, maybe just interested. Maybe they heard about it from a friend. Maybe, you know, they just stumbled upon it randomly. Um, and they, you know, they're like, oh, like, that's nice. That's interesting. They may not get it. They may get intimidated. And then they go. And those probably like inflate a lot of the numbers of content because it's just like beginner content. So people were always like searching for beginner content. But what really matters, and I think, and what I know actually what we focus on at Flywheel and what you cover on at the Edge podcast is like the content for existing users. It's the content, it's the way that we go deep into protocols, find the up and comers um, and dig into like what they're really building. I would like to uh, compare it to when I was younger, I, you know, I played football and I loved keeping track of like prospects in like high school and college and like who's like the up and coming, like, you know, next star quarterback or running back. It's the same thing, but with builders and developers and projects, it's like, who's like coming up on the underground, who's like putting in the work early and building like the next generation of great DeFi applications. And like, nothing gets me more excited than that. Well said. Nothing yeah. to add to that, but yeah, 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 well said. And I think that actually, like, uh, that's a good place to end this pod. Uh, but before we go, uh, we have our lightning round where we go off chain and get to know uh, the man behind, the dad behind the DeFi. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, so, DeFi dad, what was your virgin crypto experience? And sex doesn't count. <laughs> uh, I think I bought my first uh, portion of a Bitcoin in September 2017. Pretty sure I bought that. And then I think I bought a little bit of Ether shortly after that. Uh, oh, on Coinbase too. That's where I, I back back then but, I was. But um, that's a sex and sex doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. that's a sex. When did you first yeah. touch the blockchain? Oh, uh, oh, that's it. That was shortly after. I want to say October 2017, I set up a MetaMask. No, no, no. I, okay, I did set up a MetaMask, but I set up my Ether wallet first, I think. Yeah. And yeah, it was my <laughs> Ether wallet and then MetaMask maybe after that. And I, I set it up actually. I had bought a tiny bit of Ether and I bought into Bloom. B L O O M, oh which was God, an ICO for identity. Credit I want to say it credit was scores, I remember credit score. Oh, it was just a, a, a <laughs> team of people who literally did nothing. I, I'm confident they became unimaginably rich if they held on to that ether, which I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of it got dumped, but Jesus Christ, it was just so dumb. It was a bunch of like, Stanford mm -hmm. graduate students. I mean, like I, this is why like I laugh at things that people do today because I know that I'm probably guilty of having done a lot of those dumb things, you know, years ago. So. Got it. And the second question is what is your favorite off chain touch grass activity? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, 
I really, this is easy because obviously it would have to do with like my kids. Probably the thing I do the most to like get away from crypto and touch grass is to literally walk on grass. And um, I golf a lot with uh, both of my kids who are very young, but both of them really like to golf with me. And uh, I also love to play baseball um, and basketball with the kids. So yeah, those are that, that that's honestly the bonding time I get out of golf is so much fun. And I, I didn't grow up golfing. I just kind of took it on more uh, around the time that we had kids and, and uh, I've turned it into this incredible excuse to um, go golfing time with the once kids. or twice a week. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, it's for the kids. It's for the kids. I'm doing Real this for touch the kids. Grass hours. Um, what yeah, some, yeah. 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 What would be some advice to your younger self? Oh gosh. I feel like I evolved uh pretty quickly around the time when we had our our firstborn, our son. Um I became much more mindful of like just my future financially and that's when I started learning about crypto and I basically became I went from like zero financial literacy. I mean like I think I was I was good at like managing like a checking savings account and being good about um, not accruing like credit card debt, knowing how to like manage a budget. But like, I, I wish I had earlier on, like gotten into understanding like money and finance, but that's why I love crypto so much. It like forced me to learn about it because there was the speculation that drew me in uh, the greed that drew me in, but then I, I, you know, I, I came for the, for the magic internet money and I, I, I stayed for the tech, I guess. And, and I guess also for the upside as well. Um, so yeah, no, I would, I tell myself to get financially literate sooner and start learning. Um, I think, uh, one other simple thing is, uh, uh, I, you have to understand I've always been like one for taking risk, but, I did live with a lot of uh, stress, uh, especially like I would say high school and college. This sounds ridiculous, but like just being from like a very like middle class family, I knew that like I could never go home and like fail at any of this. Like I had to I had to do well. I had to get a job. There was no safety net. Like mom and dad were very good to me and would always look out for me. But like I, there wasn't an option of like ever like coming home in, in, in my world. And so it's something that I wish I could go back. I, I, I really feel like I'm less stressed now in my thirties with two young kids than I was at 22. I was like mm. really high strung, uh, uh, because I was so worried about that future. And like the best thing you can do is keep trying new things, keep learning. Uh, you know, don't be afraid of, uh, you know, failure, some pretty like typical pieces of advice, but yeah, not, not overthinking your future, like really just reveling in the experience. Enjoy, enjoy the ride. Cause it goes very quickly. That was some good dad advice right there. Um, yeah, now, let very me, dad advice. Let me switch gears a bit. And if you weren't in crypto or tech, you know, what would your professional career path be? I thought a lot about this actually, because coming from tech into crypto, I, I actually think I ended up in 
just the place I, I should be. I, 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 th I think for years I thought about I should be in a type of selling role, selling or some sort of like marketing role. And, and investing is actually the best place for me to be because I'm kind of like selling um, opportunities and ideas to investors, but I'm also kind of like pitching and selling us to founders. Mm -hmm. And now as like an angel investor, I kind of, uh, as uh, whether I'm an angel investor or uh, whether we're investing through fourth revolution capital, uh, it's just the best of all worlds. Like you, you, you really get to, um, I mean, you, you get to ultimately again, like invest in stories. I mean, that's what I feel like what I'm doing in the space. I'm looking for the most compelling story that happens to be backed by a uh, really strong product market fit. Uh, and backed so, by yeah, that, I'm, just that's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Backed, no backed by ETH. Yeah. So yeah, don't you guys feel like that a large portion of like what we do in this space in terms of, you know, what is successful in crypto isn't always the best technology. I'd love for it to be like, I'd love to think that the best technology should always win out, but I, I, I it's clearly a combination of technology and storytelling. And yeah. um, every so often that becomes perverse and you have really crappy technology that gets oversold and overmarketed. But I, you know, I think as a space, like we're, we're pretty, sh we're pretty sharp. The crypto space keeps getting smarter and smarter and learning from our mistakes and, and being more resilient. Um, yeah. And being more resilient. Yeah. I would say like the, the tech and the tokenomics is the body. Uh, I would call it that. And those, the soul is the community. Uh, it's the storytelling, it's the intangible. And so the body, the tech is the tangible, the soul, the community, the storytelling, um, that is the intangible. And that's how I would compare it. Um, well yeah. said. And yeah, well one, said. One final question for me. Uh, who do you recommend as the next guest on Flywheel? Uh, who do you want to see on the show? Oh, I love what we discussed earlier about, uh, you already had F of X on, because yeah, yeah. there were some really cool animations. I would love to see Prisma on, because. When we yes, we interviewed, we promise. Yeah, we want the yeah. On. That's that's an easy one. When we interviewed Prisma Finance, it was I think July, and this was long before the protocol had gone live or was just preparing to go live. There was no token, uh, so so much has happened since then, and there's just a lot to unpack with like the tokenomics, the way the tokens being locked up, the incentive design, the lock drop through Convex. So yeah, I. I would love to see that. That's an easy one. I'd love to see Prisma Finance on, which I will help you connect with them after yes. this. So yes, thank yeah, you, that's, good sir. That's perfect. Yeah, we we'll we'll talk about that after the show. Uh, but DeFi Dad, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, one last thing: let everybody know uh, your socials so they can follow you and everything that you're up to. Yeah, um, uh, if folks want to uh, get in touch, uh, they can DM me through Twitter. It's uh, DeFi underscore dad. And then uh, please also go to go to the link tree for the Edge podcast. It's uh, Edge underscore pod. Uh, or you can go to DeFiDad.com. That, that'll uh, redirect you to like all the different content links that I have, whether it's like YouTube or Lens and uh, Twitter and so on. Uh, but uh, Dave, Kit, thanks for having me on. This was really fun. I I, uh, I am 
more and more comfortable just asking questions on a podcast. So I appreciate <laughs> you letting me uh, ramble at you and and keep up the great work. I, I, like I said, I I think there's um, we share in common this like desire to cover the indie indie rock bands of uh, the underground, of the DeFi, voice of the underground, the, under, the voice of the underground. And I, I I you know I think it's necessary that we continue to look for. Uh, those up and coming protocols so that next next uh, bull run when it, if we're in the bull run already folks will uh, uh, be able to start learning about these protocols when they blow up they'll be able to go back to these podcasts and, and be like hey they covered them catch first up. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. DeFi Dad, we'll let you go. Uh, we know that DeFi Santa is waiting uh, so thank you so much for coming on and we hope to see you soon Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right, everybody. That about wraps it up here for this episode of Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. We just finished up an episode with DeFi Dad himself. Kit, what are your thoughts on this one? I think we got a great conversation with one of the more curious minds of crypto. And in addition to that, we also got a sneak peek at what are the telltale signs of a bull you know, yeah. what is a bull market looks like? And it's, you know, seems like it's kind of checking off the list here. Stablecoin bottom. Stablecoin bull market <laughs> incoming. Facts, facts. Yeah. You know, that, you know, stablecoins are really, the you know, we love stablecoins here. And they're really like the ball worth. Really such like a large part of what, what makes crypto markets run. And, you know, sometimes they're taken for granted. Uh, but at the end of the day, everybody needs to go back to something. And I think DeFi Dad recognizes that, and it comes to no surprise why he sh shares so much admiration for Frax and the core team. Yeah, and I think you mentioned this in the uh, intro, but like I liked how we were so focused on Frax in the beginning and really getting down to like you know what what could be improved, like what's better, and then we kind of took a really large step back to cover things from like you know your obviously your other DeFi stuff, but also some infra stuff. So it's cool to see him expand as well, you know, into other verticals. Because he at one point mentioned his firm looks at four different verticals, right? Like Including AI, AI. And like, yeah, right. All the bio also. So I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting. Yeah, a, a Da Vinci. Wait, wait, a Renaissance man. A Renaissance man. A Renaissance <laughs> dad. A Renaissance. A Renaissance dad. You know, and make sure you know you go follow DeFi Dad if you don't, and make sure you go ahead and subscribe, hit that bell button to us on YouTube, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, give us a like, make sure you follow us on our socials at Flywheel DeFi on Telegram, Twitter, and TikTok. Make sure you subscribe to FlywheelDeFi.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DeFi Dave Twenty Two. You can follow me at Zero X Capital Underscore K, and we'll see you next week. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.